Good morning. It's good to be with up to 100 of you. Um, we, uh, well, actually, I, I should have confirmed in between first and second service, but I didn't. So I still don't know the answer to this. I believe I was the last speaker in the live church uh, experiences that we had. And at that last one, um, I made a joke about quarantining the drummer. And then the state went into lockdown. So I'm sorry. I feel like that was my fault. Um, So we're in a series of Nehemiah, if you haven't figured that out. Um, It's been 100 years, almost 100 years, since the people were returned or allowed to leave exile. And they had built the temple, but not the walls of Jerusalem. And so they were in disrepair and in disgrace. And as Bruce uh, preached last week, um, God sent Nehemiah to the people and said to them, hey, build, (laughs) build the walls. And surprisingly, unlike so many other times in Scripture, the people said, yes, they were ready to obey God. Um, I don't know about you, I listened to Bruce's message last week. If you didn't listen to it, you should go back because it was compelling. And in that, he talked about... um, paying attention to what God is calling you to rebuild in your life. We all have broken lives. We all have things that we struggle with. Every single person in this room watching on the video. Um, And maybe last week you got excited. You felt God's spirit moving, telling you, hey, insert name here, You need to address this. And so you were excited, and you left excited. You left um, energized to do what God was calling you to do. And then, let me ask, honestly, if that was you, what happened Monday? What happened this week? My guess is that you hit um, opposition. Because our enemy, when he sees us moving towards progress in our relationship with our Father, is going to, every time, try to thwart that. And so if you decided last week, I am going to finally do something about whatever it is, whatever the thing is that the Spirit was moving in you to address, and if you hit opposition, This message this week is for you. Nehemiah 4, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. He said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? And so the first assault against them is mocking. Now, in terms of military action, mockery is pretty easy. But have you been mocked? Have you been ridiculed publicly? Maybe it was for something that was just. Maybe you deserve to be mocked. I've been in that position. Maybe it was unfair. Maybe it was about something that you couldn't address. 
couldn't handle, you know, couldn't do anything about. Uh, I spent my, uh, I've spent my entire life short compared to the average American male. And when I was growing up in elementary school, I was constantly uh, made fun of for my height. Shortest guy, you know, shortest boy in my class, uh, etc. Uh, so I, I get what, uh, I, I know what this feels like. And that's, this is where it starts. It starts with mockery. And he says, will they, will they restore the wall? Can they even do it? Will they offer sacrifices? Um, I think, so he's trash talking, right? This is huge in sports, MMA especially. When I was growing up, it was WWF, the World Wrestling Foundation. Uh, and the guys would come out and they would stand toe-to-toe in their uh, pretty outfits. <laughs> they seem to always be like, ridiculously dressed. But anyways, and they would mock each other and ridicule. Um, And he says, well, they offer sacrifices. And what he's saying is, it's going to take a miracle. Miracle Max. Okay. If you haven't seen Princess Bride, go ahead and watch it, then you'll get the joke and you'll enjoy it. I mean, he goes on, can they finish it in a day? In other words, we have plans to thwart it. Can they really get it done before we go deal with them? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? I don't know about you. If I, when I think of stones getting burned, I think not much change from before the stone got burned, right? You have a fireplace, put a stone in it for a while, pull it back out. What's different? Nothing except for maybe it's black, right? But in ancient warfare, siege warfare, they would often heap... Um, very hot fuel or fuel that could burn very hot against the walls and light it on fire. Sometimes it was like with oil, burning oil. Um, And it would actually, it gets so hot that it would expand the stones and crack them. And so a stone that was previously useful because it had been hewn in in some way to, to make the wall is now ruined as a building material. And so that's what he's saying. You don't even have good material to work with. You have a bunch of fill dirt. That's all they had. In fact, that's what they ended up using it for, was to fill in uh, the the center of the walls, as far as we can tell. And then, verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, uh, he's the guy on the right. Some of you are my age or older, and you remember like Warner Brothers, and this was like the big dog was always like, he was Sandballot, and then the little dog was like, yeah, boss, yeah, boss. Um, And so that's... That's Tobiah, and he's like, look at what they're building. Even if a fox jumped up on it, what they've built would fall down. Well, so he's, he's like piling on. He's a little yippy dog. And how low does a wall need to be in order for a fox to jump on it? You could Google it later, not right now. But um, I, don't know, I don't know the answer. But it's probably pretty low, right? Like foxes are tiny, and they can probably jump higher than the average dog. I don't know. In Minecraft, they can jump pretty high. But... If the fox jumps on it, it's going to fall down. So he's like, they're pathetic. And the work that they're doing is pathetic. So that's where it starts. It starts with the ridicule. I love verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. He doesn't say, and then I prayed. The narrator doesn't say, and then Nehemiah prayed. He just prays. And I think this is a literary device, um, like really pushing the prayer right up against the end of the insult or the assault. 
to say what's the response to when the enemy attacks is you pray. That's the message. Um, And so he does. But that isn't all he does. Verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall to all that reached half its height. They prayed and worked. So often I just want God to, like, deliver me. And I don't want to have to do the work of whatever the rebuilding is, whatever it is that he's calling me to address. I just want to be able to pray, and God takes it away. And so they built the wall to half the height. That's great. Good job, Israel. You've done the easy part. Rebuilding the wall to half its height is far easier than building the the wall from there up, right? From there up takes lots of scaffolding and equipment, things to lift stones up into place. The first half of the wall was easy because in the previous chapter we found out that a lot of it's already been rebuilt. So all they've done is the easy stuff. And this is there's a pretty strong spiritual reality here too, is that when we start with whatever it is God's calling us to do, it's usually easy because we're excited. We have momentum. We can get at it. But that's the first half of the wall. The second half of the wall is never as easy as the first half of the wall. The second assault comes, verse 7, when Samballot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, making their work harder, right? The assault harder. They were very angry. So before they were angry, now they're very angry. They all plotted to come together and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So they planned to come up and disrupt the work. Don't know how they intended to do it. It doesn't tell us. But they were going to come up and disrupt it. And the response response to the second assault is, but we prayed to our God. So there it is again. Prayer, looking to him, posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. And so they didn't just pray, they did. Um, There's a good-looking guy in our church. He's right over there. I mean, isn't that a great picture? Like, if you Google Tiberius Ratza, this is what you get. It's good stuff. Um, he, he literally wrote the book on Nehemiah, right? Copies are available on Amazon.com. I don't know. Are they available on Amazon? Yes, they are. Okay. So <laughs> I get no kickbacks. Can we arrange a kickback? Okay. You really should buy it if I'm going to get a kickback. All right. So in, in his book, he says, piety is not a substitute for preparation. I hope you said that. You said that, right? Yeah. Okay, he's nodding. We want it to be. We want the prayer to be enough. Um, But he prays and he posts a guard. Piety is not a substitute for preparation. Third assault. Verse 10, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Um, This week, you probably heard, we've reached the grim milestone of 100,000 people dead from COVID-19. 
And almost regardless of what station you listen to, you heard the exact phrase, we reached the grim milestone of 100,000 deaths. Uh, there was, um, I listen, I, you know, I tell first service, I might as well tell you too. I listen to NPR and I listen to Rush Limbaugh. So everybody hates me. I get it. Um, but Rush does these things where he does a montage of, you know, like reporters whenever they are in lockstep and all saying the same thing. And so everyone was repeating over and over again, grim milestone reached. And I don't know if it's because, like, they go uh, have coffee, socially distanced beforehand, and they all agree on what they're going to say, or if just the, second, the first guy says something and the second guy's like, boy, he said that really well. And so then he just borrows it, and another guy's like, well, that's a good way to say it. However it comes about, it often happens that everyone is saying the same thing. And so it was being said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. Every channel you tune to in Jerusalem, they were saying the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. The first two assaults, although they did not succeed, they were successful in sapping the morale of the people. And so now they're discouraged, and work starts to slack when people are discouraged. There's a bunch of rubble. You're trying to get the job done, and you have to move the old stuff out of the way first. Probably a spiritual metaphor there, don't you think? Put off and put on. They were having to deal with the, the old stuff before they could get to the new stuff. Well, the Jews who live near them, I'm sorry, verse 11, uh, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end. Oops. Hmm, sorry, I got ahead of myself. We're still on threatening death. Uh, we will be right there among them and kill them and put an end to the work. And so things have escalated. We started at mockery, went to, we were going to go in and destroy some stuff, break some of their tools, steal some of their supplies, whatever it was, and now it is, we are going to go kill them. God had stationed some Jews to live nearby. Verse 12, the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over. Ten times over can just mean a lot. Or perhaps they actually came ten times. I don't know. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I had looked over things, I stood up and said to the nobles and to the rest of the officials, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Right? I mean, this, is, this must have been a stirring speech to hear in person. Um, so he motivates the people, but he is, not just, um, he is not just trying to encourage them. He lands on something that is really important. He says, do not fear them. Do not be afraid of them. This is usually the point where I'd put up a Star Wars quote from Yoda, fear leads to the dark side. But I'm going to leave Star Wars out of it this week and go to Dune. So um, I don't know if you're Dune fans or not, but you should read it. There's a group um, in the book who is a, um, a semi-religious group, and they have ways that they address problems, and this is called the Litany Against Fear. 
And I think it is uh, really well written the first half. I must not fear. Fear is a mind killer. Fear is a little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. It's not from Scripture, obviously, but it is true, I think. Fear can be a good alarm. Fear can be a good notification. But fear, when it is indulged, paralyzes us. Or it causes us to run off and do something stupid. Uh, We all respond differently, but none of us, when we let ourselves be governed by fear, do anything good. We have to face our fear. Um, The litany against fear goes on and talks about digging deep into yourself, but Nehemiah doesn't say that. Nehemiah doesn't say, now you have to dig deep into yourselves and find resources of strength there to go deal with this. What Nehemiah says is, remember the Lord. He uses a, um, it's not Yahweh here, which surprised me, because when I was reading it, I thought, oh, I'm going to make a big deal about that right there. That's not what he says. In fact, he uses the word Adonai, which is more about king or, or boss. And so in one sense, I think he, he grabs that name where he's been using Elohim, the general word for God up until now. He uses Adonai, I think, as a way of saying, remember the real king. These uh, leaders who are, who are legal authorities in the area, Sanballat and his friends, yeah, they're scary. But remember the Lord who is um, great and awesome, he says. Great there, the Hebrew word is um, like large. We'll get back to that one. Um, it's big. So I, I always think of, when I think of big guys, I think of Scott Schneider because um, he's a big dude. And you, like you're, if I have Scott beside me, I'm totally good because I'm the little dog, right, next to Scott. He's the big dog. Um, so he says, remember that God is big. He is powerful. He is prosperous. And then he says awesome, and, and the word awesome, I'm not sure does as, as well as it could in describing what it means. It means terrible. It means terrifying. Think um, tornado. Think top of Mount Sinai with lightning and volcanoes. And uh, think hurricane. That's Yahweh. That's God. Um, he is terrifying. Remember him. And, and what he's trying to do is help them get their perspective right. Yeah, nice. So this, of, of course, is forced perspective. And the dog, surprisingly, is not actually walking on the wall. Um, but the people are just laying on the ground in, in a position. And then they took the picture sideways. And it makes us look at it and say, well, the dog's on the wall. That's crazy. But he's not. He's just on the ground. But if we were to reorient ourselves, as some of you are, you see, oh, the people are laying on the ground. And that's what Nehemiah is calling them to. He says, these these enemies look scary, right? And I don't know what you are struggling with or what you are facing. It is probably scary. I get it. An army coming with swords, And fire and siege engines is scary. But he says, remember Yahweh, who is huge and terrifying. In one sense, he's saying, if you're not doing what Yahweh says, then you have somebody to really be afraid of, 
But if you are obeying Yahweh, then he's fighting with you. He's fighting for you. And you aren't the one who needs to be afraid. They need to be afraid. And so he calls for perspective. And my guess is that we all, myself included, could handle a dose of perspective. When our enemies, verse 15, heard that we were aware of the plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. And there's God's answer to their prayer. He gave them somebody who heard the plan and came and told them so that they could prepare for it. I don't know about you, but don't you think they were hoping that God was going to do something amazing? Don't you think they were thinking that God was going to send an army of angels to, to march overhead and, and defeat the enemy or have them turn their swords against each other? Don't you think they thought that God was going to like open up the ground or send lightning or a plague? And all God did was made them aware of the bad guy's plot. Sometimes God's help seems underwhelming to us. When I want God's help, I want him to do something amazing. Like the little kid in, um, just say it louder, Incredibles, thank you. My wife knows exactly where this is going. Like the little kid outside the house in The Incredibles, and he's like, what are you waiting on? He's like, something amazing, I guess. Um, we just are hoping that God's going to do something that blows our minds, and sometimes he just says, my grace is sufficient for you. God has not called you to make your life easy. That's what I want. Can I be honest? What I want is a break. What I want is him to simplify my life. And yet my brokenness, and I don't know what yours is like, but my brokenness, when things are easy, forgets about my father. I wish it didn't. I pray most, and sometimes only, when my life is hard. God has not saved us to make our lives easy. He has saved us to know him, to enjoy him, to have a relationship with him. And sometimes a way that he does that is by walking through us with hard things. Have you walked through hard things with someone in your life? I never, ever doubted that my marriage would last until I die. But after my wife and I walked through some really hard things together, I have, like, no, like, there's no doubt because you've walked through something together, you've fought through, and you are a team, and you're, and that's what God does with us. He walks through hard times with us. And we come out on the other side, and we're like, all right, I don't always get you, but I know you, and I trust you. It may be that that's why God is not removing the thorn from you, but just walking with you. 
Verse 16, from that day on, half my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears. There was ongoing danger, and you might be like me and say, what ongoing danger? They just dealt with three dangers. Shouldn't the dangers be done? I mean, we're Winona Lake Grace Brethren, right? Three. And once you hit three, then you're done. Four doesn't make any sense to Trinitarians. And yet there is an ongoing danger presented by the enemy. And guess what? There's an ongoing danger in your life to your spiritual well-being and your spiritual health. And so they had to continue their response. And that's what they did. Um, From that day on, half my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. They had teams covering each other. Half were doing the work, half were doing the war. If only there were some kind of spiritual application to that point. But I guess there's not. I have to just keep going. No, of course. Bruce talked about it last week. I feel like we talk about it every time we preach. We do not live in isolation. Well, we kind of do right now, but... (laughs) We are not designed to live in isolation. We are designed to live in community. And whatever you're fighting, the surest way to lose is to fight it alone. The enemy wants to keep your struggle secret. He wants you to believe that if you were to tell someone your struggle that you're going to be unloved, unwanted, rejected, ostracized. Nothing is further from the truth. Every time I share my weakness with people who love me, I am revalidated, encouraged, reaffirmed, strengthened. That's what we do for each other. You are not going to surprise anyone with your brokenness. We need to be covering each other. If you don't have that, ask God for it. Talk to me, talk to pastoral staff, talk to your ABF leader, talk to somebody, and just say, like, hey, I need help. Where do we get it? We have discipleship counseling. If you don't have anything else, the church has resources for you, but make sure that you have someone who is covering you. The officers posted themselves behind the wall at Judah, uh, behind the people of Judah who were building the wall, those who carried materials did work with their hand, uh, with one hand and held a weapon in the other. I wish I had props there. I should have had, this is where I meant to have like a sword and a, a, like a, a big brick or something. But uh, I don't, you know, that's Bruce. Bruce would have had a stool up here with the stuff on it. And I just put up pictures of Star Wars. Um, they were constantly vigilant. Verse 18, each of the builders wore a sword at his side as he worked. So it is going to require constant vigilance. We so much want it to just be easy. We want to say, well, I've decided not to get drunk anymore. Well, then I'd never struggle with alcohol again. Guess what? You will. Doesn't matter what your struggle is, it's going to continue. You have to be constantly vigilant. The enemy is constantly going to surprise you with it. So they were uh, vigilant. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So 
Um, he is like roaming the city walls. He's roaming the work. Nehemiah is with the trumpeter. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And so he makes a plan. The surest way to lose is to not plan. Every weekend, my wife wants to know what we're doing for the weekend, and she asks to make a plan, and I'm always like, I'm really tired. And so, and so the, the danger is that we don't get anything done, um, which is sometimes okay with me, not so much with her. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. So I'll, we have such a great relationship. She's so amazing. Um, if you don't have a plan for how you're going to deal with what it is that God's calling you to rebuild, you're not going to get anywhere. can't win that way. Um, and he said to the men, come to me, and our God will fight for us. There's no prayer in this last bit, which I thought was kind of surprising. I expected there to be prayer again. But instead, there is just dependence on God. By the way, prayer is a way of expressing our dependence on God. And so I think these things are not too disconnected. Don't you think that when the, the enemy suddenly started coming that they were like, help us, Yahweh? The fast prayers that we've been seeing, the quick prayers that we've been seeing throughout Nehemiah, yeah, I think so. Um, so dependence on God. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. And at that time I said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem. So they couldn't go out to wherever they lived, maybe 10, 15 miles away. They couldn't go see their family anymore until the walls were done. So that they can service as guards by night and workmen by day. That sounds fun. Not the least bit tiring. By the way, it was going to take them two months almost to finish the walls, which is really pretty quick. But two months? Neither I nor my brothers, uh, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. And maybe uh, Dr. Rotzer will correct me, but uh, my understanding is that that's likely a metaphor for going to the bathroom. I'm not even going to look at him. I'm not going to ask. Because if he says, no, I, don't, I want you to enjoy that thought right now. You couldn't even go to the bathroom without your sword. So whatever you were doing, you were always armed, which meant that it was taking perseverance and sacrifice. The road that we are called to walk is not one of comfort. Someday, we will be translated and we'll be with the Lord. Someday, every fight will be behind us. But that is not today. Bruce talked about a, a marriage last week that took two years from the time that the wife said, I'm going to fight for my relationship, and the man said, okay. Two years later is what it took for them to get to some point, at least that he was talking about, I don't know who it is or what it was, to some point of restoration. We want God to take away the thorn, but most of the time he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Um, in just a minute, they're going to play a video uh, closing from Kip, so hang around, and then someone's going to come up and give you instructions for leaving. But you know that I finished my sermons with blessings on you. Um, and that is a time when I hope that you uh, receive the blessing of God, 
um, that you are encouraged. This week, I want to not only bless you, but remind you that we are to be a blessing to other people. Uh, I don't know that we are more divided than we've ever been as a, as a country. The Civil War does come to mind when we were pretty divided. But the divisions among us are crystal clear right now. And so as we are rebuilding ourselves, I would encourage us not to only be focused on us, but to think about our friends, our communities. Um, you may not have any, any, any interaction with Indy where there was rioting yesterday and death um, burning right here in our own state. Uh, but we can be praying, right? And we can be asking God to be working and rebuilding. So I would encourage you as you go to be blessed and to be a blessing.